Let me get rid of this. Thank you for being here today. I preached a sermon recently using the, uh, a time in the life of Daniel as the foundation. And since Daniel's life is marked by so many different experiences, once again today, I want to look at another one of those times in Daniel's life that can serve as a guide or, or a lesson for us today. First, a little bit of background. Daniel was raised in Judah. Judah was the southern half of Israel when it was divided into two parts. Israel was the northern part. Judah was the southern part. Daniel lived there until he was probably 12 or 13 years old. He was probably y'all's age. Keep that in mind. We look at Daniel typically, and we see Daniel in the lion's den, and we see this old guy with a long beard, and we think maybe he was. But he wasn't an old guy with a beard when he got taken away from Jerusalem or from Judah and taken away to Babylon. He was not even a teenager, possibly. And then, because of the, the disobedience of the Jewish people, God allowed the Babylonians to con conquer Judah. And as a result, the Babylonians took many of the Jews back to Babylon to serve as slaves or in service to the king. Several years later, the Babylonians were conquered by the Persians. And now, at the time of the scripture that we're going to read, Daniel has been living in captivity for 67 years. First in captivity to the Babylonians, and then in captivity to the Persians. The Persian king who was in power at the time, his name was Darius. Everybody say Darius. Thank you. Even in exile, Daniel found favor with the king and served as a type of advisor to the king on Jewish affairs. I want to go to Daniel and read chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made the ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. When the Babylonians conquered Judah, Daniel's home country, they took all of the things of value from the Jewish temple back to Babylon. Now, why is that important? It included gold vessels that were used in worship in the temple. It also included scrolls and writing of the earlier prophets of Israel and Judah. And since Daniel had favor with this king, it seems he also had access to these writings on these scrolls. So here is Daniel in the library reading from these scrolls and these different writings, and he reads that it was prophesied that the exile of the Jews into Babylon was to last 70 years. How much time has passed up until now? 67. So that means three more years. God also promised that he would rebuild Jerusalem and allow the Jews to rebuild the temple. And since he knew that the time of exile was coming to an end, Daniel began to pray. And as he began to pray, he prayed a prayer of confession. Daniel chapter 9, verses 3 through 6. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer 
and petition and fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your prophets, your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Remember, the whole reason for the Jewish people being in Babylon was because of their sin and their disobedience to God's commands. So Daniel begins his prayer. The basic idea behind the Jewish concept of confession was acknowledgement of sin. So in his prayer, Daniel acknowledged to God that the people of Judah had been disobedient that they had sinned. As he prayed, Daniel, in this case, he fasted and he wore sackcloth, which was kind of a, a material similar to burlap, and it showed humility and sincerity to God. Now, let's look at this prayer. Daniel's prayer also mentions several characteristics of God. And we should note that although this was a prayer of repentance and confession, it did not begin with mentioning sin. Instead, Daniel began this prayer on praising God, calling him great and an awesome God. This was not just a reference to God in physical terms, but also God's the importance of his superiority over all other things. Daniel was standing back, and before he began to do anything else, he recognized how great God was and how he was over everything. We can learn from that when we come to God in prayer. Daniel also spoke of God's reliability. In verse 4, he stated that, that God had made a covenant or a promise with his people, and he had kept that promise. He said, if you don't turn from your sins, I'm going to have another country come in and take you, and they'll take you into their country and, and exile you, and that's exactly what happened. Divine love was the motivation behind this covenant. But the covenant also brought with it an important responsibility, and that was that the people were to love God and obey his commands. And they had not done that. And as a result, they found the city of Jerusalem demolished. They found their temple ransacked and demolished. Daniel spoke of God's greatness and his faithfulness. And then he spoke of the people's unfaithfulness and disobedience. Daniel described the people as wicked and rebellious. He confessed that they had sinned, they had done wrong, they had turned away from God. And Daniel's description not only told of their actions, it also told of their attitudes, what was in their heart. Back in Judah before the exile, the people repeatedly reject the warnings of the prophets of God. And watch this, this is important. Although the prophets occasionally predicted future events, such as the exile and the return to Judah. Their primary responsibility was calling the nation of Judah to obey God in the present. It wasn't all about what's going to happen in the future. They were saying, serve the, God, serve the Lord now. Now is the time to live for God. If you don't, this is what's going to happen, but now is the time to live for God. And he did that those prophets did that by telling them what would happen in the future if they didn't. And time and time again, God sent prophets to tell the people to turn from their wicked ways and turn to God. And time after time, 
the people either ignored the warnings or returned to God for a short time, only to fall back into sin. Before the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah, many of the people just didn't believe that God would destroy the great temple of Solomon. They didn't believe that he would destroy the holy city of Jerusalem. And what they do? So they kept worshiping other gods, the gods of their neighbors, false gods, their heathen neighbors. And the prophets repeatedly pointed out that the people's unfaithfulness would bring judgment, and it did. And here we see at the time of this scripture, 67 years has passed since God did exactly what the prophets had warned that he would do if they didn't repent. In Daniel 9, verses 5 through 9, Daniel confesses the sins of the people, not once but four times. And this is important. He included himself as if he were personally involved in Israel's wickedness, rebellion, and disobedience. And obviously the blame wasn't all Daniel's because he was how old when they left Jerusalem? 12, 13 years old. He wasn't all, all the only one doing a lot of sin. We need to also remember that over and over, God had graciously sent the prophets to warn the people and the nation as a whole. They had rejected the message of the prophets. We need to make sure that we search our own lives as Daniel did in his prayer of repentance because it is all too easy to point the finger of blame and guilt toward everyone else and then excuse ourselves. It's hard to imagine that there was anyone among all the people of Judah who were more righteous and blameless than Daniel. And yet here he was on his knees begging God for forgiveness. If we want to see revival and renewal in our personal lives and in our churches, the first step would be to, re, to examine our own lives on a regular basis. <clears throat> and then every time there is an opportunity given, no matter how spiritual we might think we are, we should be found falling on our face and crying out, God, forgive me of my sins. Let there be a change of heart and let it begin with me. Daniel continues his prayer in verses 18 and 19. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. As Daniel ends this prayer in verse 19, we see him pleading to God to listen to this prayer. And Daniel was not implying that God wasn't listening or that he had closed his eyes to the problems of the people. You see, God was fully aware of these things, and Daniel knew that. And this prayer came from a human perspective of the circumstances because the Jews, maybe to them after 67 years of captivity, it might have seemed that God had stopped listening and that he had closed his eyes to their problems. There are times we might feel the same way, feel that God doesn't see us in our situation. He doesn't hear our prayers. 
But be assured that just as God knew what was happening to the people of Judah, he knows exactly what you are going through right now. Even though the timing may not line up with the way we think it should be, know that God's timing is perfect. Excuse me. 67 years was a long time. But God had said that his people would be in exile for 70 years. God had not forgotten them. Instead, he was just working out every little detail so that when it was time, things would work out exactly the way he said they would. God is always on time. And when we don't understand the timing, we still need to trust God. He hasn't forgotten you. His plan is going exactly the way he knows is best. Although Daniel hoped that God would show compassion, he also recognized that the Jewish people deserve their current suffering. And that's why Daniel pleaded for mercy. Mercy is when we are shown favor or compassion, when we don't receive the punishment we we deserve, and that goes for each of us here today. We don't deserve salvation. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, so that is what we deserve. While there is nothing we could ever do to deserve Jesus Christ forgiving us of our sins, God still says to each and every one of us, I will show mercy I will forgive you. I will give you eternal life, even though you don't deserve it. And just just as God had a plan in place for the deliverance of the exiles in Babylon, there is a plan in place for your deliverance. There is a plan in place for my deliverance. There is a plan in place for deliverance from a life of sin, from a life of hopelessness from a life of feeling like there's no future, from a life of slavery, not to man, but the things of this world. And it too, as it did with Daniel, begins with repentance. Daniel knew that he and his people were in no position to demand anything from God. They had been disobedient for generations. And what they deserved was God's wrath. And that's why Daniel simply pleaded to God, please listen to my petitions and show us mercy. God shows mercy and grace to us, not because we deserve it, but because it pleases him to do so. The passion in Daniel's heart was released at the end of his prayer. Since Israel had no righteousness to present to God, Daniel threw himself and and his people on the mercy of God's judgment. Today, we certainly don't have to put on sackcloth and sit in ashes like Daniel did in verse 3 in order to repent and show that we're sincere. But I do believe in we need to be careful not to repent to approach repentance too casually. It is good to be confident in God's love and his mercy toward us. But if we're not careful, 
we can start to feel that God's mercy and our assurance of salvation softens the seriousness of sin. We can begin to feel that our sins are no big deal because, after all, there's mercy, there's grace. Remember, Daniel did not make excuses for his people. He did not try to diminish the depth of it. Instead, he confessed it all. <clears throat> he took responsibility for it. And then he pleaded for God's mercy. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, Jesus addressed some of the religious leaders of his day. He told a parable of two men who went to the temple to pray. One of the men was a Pharisee. Pharisees were the religious people of that day. The other was a tax collector. The tax collectors were a group of people who were absolutely hated by the Jewish people. The Pharisee, the religious guy, he stood up in the temple and he prayed out loud, Lord, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like that tax collector standing over there. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. And the Bible says the tax collector stood at a distance, not even looking up, and he simply prayed, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Look what Jesus said in response to that. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We have the right to come to God and ask for mercy. Not because of our goodness, but because of, but because of God's goodness because of his love, not because of our righteousness, but because of God's righteousness and his grace. We need to confess our sins to God in sincere repentance and believe that he is faithful to forgive. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That is a promise. It doesn't mean we just go out and willingly sin and then assume when we're through that we can run to God and expect forgiveness. That's not what it's saying. In fact, the Apostle Paul was teaching on mercy and grace, and he wrote in Romans 5.20 that if we sin, there is grace. But he doesn't stop there. He continues in the very next chapter, in chapter 6, verse 1, and he asks the question, does that mean that we should go out and sin even more so that there will be even more grace. In other words, if there's grace when we sin, does that mean we should go sin a whole lot so that there'll be a whole lot of grace? And then he answered his own question. He said, by no means, or absolutely not. We need to take note from Daniel's example of sincere humility and sincerity when we come to God for forgiveness, knowing that he does love us, that he does want to forgive us if we will just confess our sin. 
The first thing we need to do is ask God to, to search our lives, to see if there was anything in our lives that shouldn't be there. I quote this scripture a lot. David said in Psalm 139, 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And I will tell you, if we'll do this with sincerity, God will show us those things in our lives that are not pleasing to him. And then we must do as Daniel did. Rather than dwelling on the things of the past, rather than dwelling on the sins of our past and just feeling guilty about them, we can and must approach God in repentance. And let me say you this today. If you are afraid that God may not be willing to forgive, look back through the Bible. Regardless where people found themselves, Regardless of the situation that they had often brought on themselves, God always provided a solution to the problem. Even if they brought it on themselves, even if they caused the problem themselves, God still provided a way out. The problem with mankind today is sin. And the solution is the redemptive blood of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1.8 says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Let me interpret that. If we claim to be out without sin, we're just liars. And then remember 1 John 1.9 that we read it a minute ago. But if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. He will take away the sin. He will take away all the ugliness and make us a new creation. <clears throat> a couple of months ago, my dermatologist performed what is in layman's term called a blue light treatment. It has a long name like this, but blue light treatment. They did that on my face. And the treatment goes something like this. You go into the office, and they scrub your face with this really harsh chemical. And then they put a cream on your face, and you go out into the waiting room for an hour. This is important. You go out in the waiting room for an hour. When the hour is up, you come and sit under this special blue lamp for about 20 minutes. I think technically it was like 19 minutes and 26 seconds. So we're going to say 20 minutes. And the idea is that the cream on your face that has been there for an hour reacts with the rays of this special lamp and it destroys any precancer spots on your face. Now, I had this same treatment done several years ago, but it didn't quite go like that. The problem was they put the cream on my face. I went out in the waiting room to wait for an hour. And even though I was supposed to wait there for an hour, after a few minutes, I got bored. Jeffrey was with me. So we went outside and walked around until it was time to go back in. What I didn't realize was that the sun acted just like that blue light. So rather than having my 19 minutes and 26 seconds under the blue light, I had close to an hour and 20 minutes between the sun and the blue light. After I got through with the treatment, I went and washed my face and we left. I noticed within a few minutes that my face felt like it was absolutely on fire. Later that night, my face looked like I had been bobbing for apples in a deep fryer. 
It was really, really bad. And it didn't just look bad that night. It looked bad. It looked horrible for days. Even after a couple weeks, it did not look good. But here's the important part of the story. Once all the blisters and the redness went away, once all the old skin peeled off, the skin on my face looked better than it had looked in years. My face didn't look any better, but the skin on my face looked better. It seemed that I had to get rid of the old to have something new, and in the end, as painful as it was, the new was better than the old. Many times people are hesitant to come to Christ. They're hesitant to repent of their sins for fear of what they might have to give up. So in spite of the fact that those unrepented sins will destroy them and separate them from God, they still cling to all those old things in their lives. Even as born-again, saved-by-grace Christians, if we are not careful, we can find ourselves clinging to old habits, old ways, old attitudes, instead of letting God's Spirit work powerfully in our lives to renew and cleanse us. We need to understand that we serve a God who can and does forgive our sins and makes all things new. And if we are willing to confess our sins and come to him in sincere repentance, he will do just that. And again, I use this passage of Scripture a lot too, but let's look at it again. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is has come. God doesn't change. He is still the same today as he was in Daniel's day. He is still a God who forgives sin. He is still a God of spiritual renewal. He is still a God of deliverance from bondage. He is still a God who loves you. He is still a God who has a plan for your life. And if if, if we will come to him with sincere repentance, he will take away the old and make all things new. But in order for there to be a change in our lives, the kind of change that we say we want, we need to live our lives in a way that is pleasing to God. This passage in Daniel that we're reading from today is a great example of the way that we should be praying. Like Daniel, we not only need to pray prayers of repentance, we also need to pray prayers of deliverance. For Daniel, the obvious part of this prayer was to be delivered from captivity in Babylon. But Daniel's prayer of deliverance was also a prayer that God would deliver them from their sinful ways. It wasn't just saying, God, get us out of Babylon. Deliver us from Babylon. He was saying, deliver us from Babylon, Lord, but deliver us from the way that we've been living our lives so that we can be pleasing to you. With repentance came deliverance. And with deliverance came several things. We know historically and biblically that just as God said, the Israelites were released from captivity after the 70 years was up. 
But when the Israelites were released from captivity, they were also restored. Here's what I mean by that. The temple items that had been stolen when the, when the Babylonians took over and destroyed the temple, they were all given back. They were given back to them to take with them when they went back to Jerusalem and when they returned to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. So they repented and they were delivered. And with that deliverance came release. And as a result, everything that had been taken from them was restored. And they returned to Jerusalem to honor God and to rebuild the temple for worship. There was repentance, deliverance, release, restoration, returning, and rebuilding. My prayer for each of us, for High Point Church, is that we would see this same pattern in each of our lives and in our church. We must repent and turn away from our sins. If we will do that, we are promised over and over in the Word of God that God will forgive us and He will deliver us from that sin. That's a promise. In addition, we need to pray that we would be released from anything that would stand in our way, anything that would stop us from becoming what God has called us to become. That means anything. If. And I say if because it's really conditional. If we will do those things, we will find release from the things of the world that might have us bound. And the things along the way, the things as we've traveled through life, those things that we might have lost on, on our way through life, those things will be restored. The most important thing would be our relationship with God that it would be restored to what it should and must be. When that happens, then we need to return to what we know to be right. We need to return to a daily walk with God. We need to return to a life that is dedicated to pleasing God, return to a life that honors Him. And finally, with God's help, we need to rebuild those things that might have been broken along the way. There are some broken folks sitting in churches today. But I will tell you today that God can restore you, He can rebuild, and He can fix all those broken things if you allow Him to. And it all starts with repentance. It all starts with a sincere prayer of repentance and none of those other things can happen until we find that place of sincere repentance. If Daniel had not found that place of repentance, I don't believe he would have ever been included in that return and restoration. Our daily prayer time should include a prayer of repentance asking God to search our hearts and show us anything that shouldn't be there. And then, when he does, we ask for grace, we ask for mercy, and then we change.
We have a calling. Each of us has a calling on our lives. But we cannot accomplish it if our lives are not being lived in the way that is pleasing to God. We cannot accomplish what God has called us to do if we have sin in our lives. I want to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to wait till they get up here because this next thing I want to say is I want us all to really hear. Many times <clears throat> at this point in a service, although I say this altar is open, we feel like it is open for a, a couple different purposes. One is for people to come who want salvation, and secondly, people who want to come and have prayer for a specific need. And yes, that is partially true. The altar is always open for those reasons. This altar is always open at any point during a service for someone who wants to come and pray, someone who wants to come for salvation, someone who needs prayer for a need in your life. But this past week, I feel like God spoke to me about something, and I want to share it with you this morning. This altar should be a place where everyone here finds a place to pray every time it's open. I say that because there's probably not a person here who has not sinned in some way this past week. Maybe you didn't murder someone. Maybe you didn't rob a bank. Maybe it was a word spoken that shouldn't have been spoken. A thought that we dwelled on that we should have let pass. A bad attitude. Anger. Or even hatred towards someone we disagreed with. And the list goes on and on. And each of those things is sin. We don't have to rob a bank or kill someone to need repentance. If you are a rare exception and you have not committed any type of sin in your heart or in deed, I would still venture to say that you have not arrived at perfection in your life. And if that is the case, then yes, there's a place for you here as well. Here's the point I want us to see today. Altars. Altar. People. Altars. Altar. People. This altar is where a change takes place.
changes in actions, changes in attitudes, changes in our hearts, changes in our minds. So yes, there is a place here for you. I believe time at the altar could be the place where we receive the power that we are missing in our lives. I believe times at the altar will be a place where everything else is shut out and the Holy Spirit will speak to us and move in and through us to accomplish great things. I believe a church that spends time at the altar will be a powerful church. So today and going forward, I am going to ask everyone who would, everyone who is able, to come to the altar and pray. Come to the altar and offer up a sacrifice of praise. Come to the altar and offer up a prayer of sincere repentance. And I feel that God has shown me that if we will do that, we will see deliverance. And as a result of that, we will see people released from the things that have them bound. We will experience restoration. People will be restored to where they need to be in Christ. And we will return to a daily walk with God that is pleasing to Him. And as a result of all of that, we will see God rebuild us to the place where we need to be in order to accomplish what He has called us to do for the kingdom. I think too many times God speaks to our hearts in a service and then we come to the end of the service and whoever's up here offers a chance to come and pray and too many times we go we worry, well, if I go to the altar, someone thinks I've backslidden. If I go to the altar, someone thinks I've, I've committed some sin. If I go to the altar, people are going to wonder this, they're going to wonder that. Do you really care? What I care about is what God thinks. And I know that when, when I have the opportunity I need to find a place and fall on my face before God 
and say, God, search my heart. See if there is anything in my heart that shouldn't be there. I'm not saying that it makes you more spiritual to come and pray. What I'm saying is that if we want to see the power of God move in our church, in our lives, I believe time spent at the altar will make a difference. I'm not trying to work up some kind of an emotional anything. What I want us to see is in all of this story in Daniel, as godly a man as Daniel was, it all began with him crying out for repentance and forgiveness and mercy. And if we will do that, we will make sure that every time we leave this place, our hearts are clear. And we don't just do it on Sunday. We need to do it every day. Every day we need to come to the Lord and do this. But what better time to do it than when we gather together as a church, when we gather together as brothers and sisters and we can pray with one another and we can be in the, the presence of a holy God as we sing this morning. I would ask you today, find a place and pray. If you're not saved, please don't leave this place today without knowing for sure that you are. Salvation is simple. It begins with believing that Jesus died for your sins. It it begins with saying, Lord, I know that what you did was enough to cover my sins. And we come to him in sincere repentance. And the Bible says that if we repent, He will forgive us our sins. And that is the first step. If you have never done that, would you come today as we sing? Let's pray. It's all about.